0: Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The book of Hebrews is known for its intense warnings, but also for its wonderful encouragements. Here in chapter 6, after a spine-tingling warning about consequences of renouncing Christ, the writer encourages us with the promises of God. Now let's join Pastor Ross with the message entitled, Two Unchangeable Things. There's a great scene from Anne of Green Gables, a movie that we watched many times growing up with the kids, especially Jordan, enjoyed that movie. But there's a great scene in there where that red-headed spitfire Anne is lamenting about her life in that overly dramatic way that she is famous for to her very stoic adoptive mother, Marilla. And when she says, with her hand on her forehead, she says, Oh, my life is a perfect graveyard of buried hopes. And she can tell that Marilla as usual is not very impressed, and she says to Marilla, "Can't you even imagine what it's like to be in the depths of despair?" And Marilla gets this kind of smug look on her face, and she says, "No, I cannot." To despair? is to turn your back on God. And that's exactly what the first century Hebrew congregation here is thinking of doing. They've got some tough times. They've been persecuted for their faith in Christ. They've been alienated from their Jewish families that didn't accept Christ as they had. And now they're thinking about turning back to their old life. And this is exactly what the writer, the pastor writing them, is trying for them to avoid, turning their back on God. In fact, he's just warned them and said that would be a most desperate situation. He's been saying, I know it's tough. I understand you're being persecuted. I know you're tired of it. Uh, You're letting it get to you, though. You're drifting in your spiritual walk. You're becoming careless. You've stopped growing. The last thing you ever want to do is turn your back on God because he's the source of your life and of your blessing. But for some strange reason, it's in the sinful, weak heart of humans that when we get discouraged or despondent, things aren't going our way, we tend to turn away from the very source and the answer and our help. It just doesn't make any sense, but we tend to do that. And the Hebrew congregation is doing just that. One writer put it this way. Just remember uh, the impossibility of God working in a life that turns from him. To repudiate or to renounce Christ is to embrace the impossible. So the book of uh, Hebrews, which we've been studying, um, is a book of warnings and encouragements. Warnings about spiritually backsliding and encouragements about the faithfulness of God. And they kind of alternate. So the book of Hebrews, as I called it, the, fi- the book of five slaps, because the book of Hebrews is famous for five intense warnings, but, but there are also five very wonderful encouragements that go along with those warnings. And this morning, after having just experienced a spine-tinkling uh, slap to get those Hebrews to wake up to the peril of renouncing Christ after you have tasted of the heavenly gift and uh, the awful consequences of that would be it's time for a little encouragement. So here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll put the text uh, all the way through. Uh, the part that's italicized is the part we've already covered just for context, and then uh, we'll read through it and then uh, walk our way through and uh, glean some insights, as we usually do. So um, it's time for some encouragement. They've just been kind of shaken with these words about going backwards and the terrible consequences of that, and now the encouragement, starting at verse 9. Now, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation, God's not unjust. He's not going to forget your hard work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. And We, we just don't want you to become lazy to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what was promised and now the new territory, now, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. After, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Continuing, now men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. (laughs) Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, and in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And then it finishes up. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain in that temple where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so there we have our text Spread out before us. So, we're going to walk through the, the passage, the part that we have not yet covered, uh, and we're going to do so with God's help and blessing. This is a great encouragement, a wonderful section of scripture to reflect upon. Now, uh, the last time the warning came, uh, we were here for the change in tone. He started to encourage them by saying, hey, this is a terrible situation to turn your back on God once you've known him. But we're convinced that you're not going to do that, that you haven't done that yet. And that, quite frankly, you guys are genuinely, uh, genuinely saved, that you guys are born again and those who are born again will overcome. And so he's saying there's really only one solution for your struggles and that is to hang in there, be patient, trust God, and, and let him give to you what he's promised. Really, it comes down to a simple equation that he gives us right there in verse 12. He says, oh, we're doing this, we're warning you, we're encouraging you, so that through faith, trusting God, and patient, hupomene in the Greek, which means to remain under something, to build yourself up in your faith, to strengthen yourself by being under the pressure. So when you pray, God, help me to be patient, you're saying, help me to remain under this. Now, so how many of you want to change your prayers <laughs> to, to, Lord, get me out of this instead of make me more patient? But make me more patient is a good prayer because you need it. You need two things. Faith plus patience equals receiving the promise, And so he just said, that's the point. That's what we want. So I want to give you an example of somebody who had faith and had to have patience in the midst of contrary circumstances, in the midst of terribly challenging life, but inherited and received because he had faith and patience. And who might that be? He's going to Father Abraham. Now, so if you're taking notes, number one is Abraham waited patiently, and so must we. That is our calling and lot in life. We are called to wait on the Lord. So verses 13 through 15 for our review, this is where we picked up here. Now, Abraham is the go-to guy, if ever there was one, to encourage a bunch of Jews who had become born-again Christians to to emulate this guy. This guy had it tough. God made him some promises and it didn't look like they were going to come to pass, but he hung in there with faith and patience and he got what God had promised. He says, Hebrews, I want you to imitate the founder of your faith. You're Hebrews, right? Well, Abraham is called in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 13. He's called Abraham comma the Hebrew. Now, He's called that because he begins the father of the Hebrews. He had an ancestor who was called Eber. And as a result, he is related to Eber. He's the Hebrew. The word comes from that. But the word also means to have crossed over, uh, sojourner, to cross from death into life. There's a spiritual significance there. And so that's where you, or you can call them Jews. From Judah. The region around Jerusalem was named after the fourth son uh, there of, of Jacob called Judah. And so people who lived in Judah were called Jews for short, for Judah. So that's where you get Hebrew or Jews. And so he's talking to Hebrews. So he goes, Hey, I got somebody for you to think about. The guy who started the whole thing, uh, Father. Abraham. So let's go back 2,000 years uh, to Genesis 11 with Father Abraham. And and here's a map of how it all started. So we're going to go look at the promise God made him. They're from, originally, they're from near Baghdad. And the family goes up to southern tip of Turkey, northern Syria, to Haran, where the call comes in Genesis 12. It gets very interesting there. And he's going to call them to go down to a place called Canaan. It is called Canaan before it is called Israel. And so that's the call. When he gets down there, God starts to talk to him. Well, here's the text he says. Now, Hebrews, listen. Our father Abraham was given a promise. And he sums it up there in the opening verses. You can go back to there. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. Right there. That's a quote from Genesis 22. But what it is, is a summary of dozens of detailed verses about the promise to Abraham about two things, about land and about people. But he goes here and it's very smart because it sums up the whole deal with one sentence. Let's take a closer look at the promise that he's wanting the Hebrews to take. check it out. Check out what God told Abraham and why Abraham's going to need faith and patience, all right? So in, in Genesis 12, the famous, the Lord says to Abram, leave your country, leave Haran, leave the idol worshipers, your people, your father's household. Go to the land I'll show you. Notice he doesn't print out MapQuest or anything. He just says, <laughs> "Abraham's like, okay, do I take a left at the corner or what? He's like, I'll show you. Okay, that's what Abraham's like, cool with that. He's a fun guy to work with because he just has a lot of faith. Okay, let's get going. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, Oyve, I'm going to curse them. <laughs> Bang. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because, Abraham, I'm going to be related to you biologically and come through your biological DNA, and save the world. Jesus Christ is blood-related to Abraham. It's amazing. All the land that you see, now later in the the passage, all the land that you see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever. Now, that's a strong word, in case you're wondering how the Jews are gonna do when the Lord comes back, forever, forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. So two promises, land and offspring. But there are just two problems with that. Number one about the land. Abraham looks around. The land is inhabited by 10 very wicked nations. You know, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, and all the otherites. They're all there. And they've got armies. It's vastly populated. And so he's there. He's looking around. He goes, oh, great. The promise number one, everywhere you look is yours. Okay. (laughs) All right. And promise number two, you're going to be the father of many, of descendants. His wife can't have kids. He's 75 at the time of this announcement and she's in her 60s. Not only is she old for having children, she's barren. She can't have children. But that's the, how the promise came. What a what a cognitive dissonance, right? And I looked that phrase up and here's what it says. Cognitive dissonance. This is the feeling of uncomfortable tension which comes from holding two conflicting thoughts in the mind at the same time. And I thought, the story of the Christian's life. <laughs> He's constantly saying things that are contrary to the circumstances and wanting us to look past the circumstances which are physical and temporary To the unseen, which is eternal, the evidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. This is our faith, right? And, And this guy had a lot of it. He says no problem. He looks around. He sees it inhabited. He sees his wife, who's going like this. You know, we have a little bit of a history, Abraham. You kind of know this is impossible. And you know what he says? And and what does it say? Here's here's the second one, Genesis 15. So Abraham needs some clarity, okay? (laughs) He says, you've given me no children, just saying. I mean, you're talking about a lot of kids here, but I don't have any, and you know. So a servant in my household, let me just let you in on this, Lord. A servant in my household is going to have to be this heir you're talking about. Then the word of the Lord comes to him and says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body, like I've told you, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up again. This is again. At the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can't count them. We've been through this, Abraham. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here's the line that gets quoted a lot in the New Testament. Abraham believed the Lord and accredited it to him as righteousness. What does that mean? He says he got saved. This is how he got saved. Because righteousness means to be put right with God. And because he took, simply took God at his word, he did no good works. He didn't do anything. What he did was in his heart go, okay, well, then I plan to live according to the truth that you've just told me. That's called faith, and that's called being put right with God, and that's how you get saved in the Old Testament and the New Testament, faith alone. Now, it, I do have to say that it looks pretty easy, but it, it was a lot harder than it appears. As you will recall... Sarah didn't wake up the next week and just say, hey, you know, my tummy's a little unsettled. Uh, maybe I have morning sickness. i all excited, you know. I mean, it's been a week, but wow, yeah. No, that didn't happen. Uh, uh, the social pressure on them was great. In that day and age, if you couldn't conceive, you were cursed by God. And so there was a lot of gossiping about you. You must have done something terrible for God to cause that to have happened. And so people shunned you and made fun of you. And if anybody wanted this to happen fast, it's Abraham and Sarah who have had already a lifetime of mocking and, and being alienated. They want this thing to happen and happen fast. It's not going to happen fast. 24 years, 24 years, to make things worse, what's his name, Abram, Abram means exalted father, you know what that means, it means big daddy, all right, so, so, so he's at the water well, you've seen the movies, come on, he's standing there, and they say, hey, what's your name, and he says, big daddy, and they say, oh, Big Daddy, where's the where are the tents of all your children? Well, actually, I don't have any. <laughs> and your name's Big Daddy. Well, it's gonna get worse. God's gonna change my name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Come on. <laughs> Who wants this to happen tomorrow? <laughs> Right? You don't think they had a romantic dinner that night? (laughs) (laughs) Abraham waited a few days. He's like, how you feeling, honey? And I was (laughs) like, come on, let's get this. God promised it. I believe it. He said it. That's it. Right? No, no, no. faith plus patience equals the promise, Abraham. 24 years. He's ninety-nine when the Lord appears to him in pre-incarnate. The angel of the Lord talks to him and says, Hey, good news, it's next year. And he laughs to himself. He says, Uh oh, really, this is gonna happen. I'm 99 and she's 90. Not in a disbelieving way. He's still believing. 8,765 days. 210 thousand hours of wondering where's the baby where's the kid honey what's up you know after a while a hope deferred makes the heart sick he stopped looking at her and asking how are you feeling in the morning 210 thousand empty hours of wondering Did I hear him right? Did I just get a bad plate of couscous? You know, (laughs) I was trying to think what they eat, you know. Come on. That's a long time. Romans 4, 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. (laughs) without weakening in his faith for 210,000 hours. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, 99, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He faced the fact, yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do What he had promised. But it took a couple things. I don't know if you could guess what they might be. It took. I'll I'll give you another chance. (laughs) It took faith. And it took patience. And then he inherited the promise. Oh, no, it's not like Christians today. In Jesus name. Amen. Like a magic wand. Boom. Did it. Okay. Let's see it happen. All right. What is that with the in Jesus name thing? Amen. Like, boom, did it. Has to happen now. The way that I want it to happen, the way that I imagine it happening, the way that will make me comfortable. In Jesus name, amen. Bam. Done. And then so discouraged. How many Christians, because they just, won't do two things. Trust God and be patient. Don't get to hold their Isaac. Why? Because he gave up. Doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. That just means they're not going to be holding bundles of joy. And what do you think his name means? It means laughter. They don't get the bundle because they didn't do the two things required. So he's telling those Hebrews, you're about to throw Isaac out the window. Your joy, your happiness, your, the thing God promised you. You don't just get frustrated and turn away. Patience is a virtue, get it if you can. Seldom seen in women, never seen in men. <laughs> raise your hand if you enjoy waiting. Yeah, don't raise your hand, nobody will believe you. When I do, I have the wait slides on there, like all the psalms that say wait. Okay. Yeah, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. As if I didn't say it again. Okay, okay, thirty-three. We wait. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Uh, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Oh, wait. There's more. <laughs> Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you. I will wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits as I put my hope in him. That's what we're called to do. Samuel breaks a little yoke of anointing oil over David's head and says, You, sir are Israel's next king. 20 years later, he sits on a throne. Seven years after that, he still doesn't have all of Israel. It's just about 25 years of waiting from the time God says, you the man, you the king. I declare it to when it's established and fully realized. So that's why David's writing that. I will wait. I will wait. My soul waits. I'm used to it, man. When I see, I just saw the Lord spoke to me through a traffic sign just the other day. I'm on 101, and there's a big blinking light. It says, expect delays, expect delays, (laughs) expect delays. I just looked up to heaven and said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, expect delays. That's our lot. It's not a delay to him or some seminary professor pacing the halls back and forth, very upset. And a student went up to him and said, hey, doc, what's up? What's wrong with you? He goes, man, because I'm in, I'm in such a hurry. But the Lord definitely is not in a hurry. It looks like a delay to you, to Abraham, to David, to Noah, building, preaching, Building, preaching, building, preaching, building, preaching. Sunny and mild, sunny and mild, <laughs> sunny and mild, sunny and mild. But the day he goes in, it was sunny and mild. One day the door slammed shut because God shut the door. And then he hears tingle, 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 and a lot of cries outside. And then he says, I'm glad that I have faith and patience and I inherited what God promised salvation my word amen Amen. it's the only way to go hebrews you get what god promised you when you exercise faith and patience you give up now what about your bundle of joy what about well done good and faithful servant that's a promise you, you're going to you're gonna miss that because you're growing impatient because things don't look like they're working out the way they should have worked out? You didn't write the story of your life. That's out of your hands. He's writing the story and when it, we get there, the story's going to be beautiful. Why? Because there's a promise. I'm making all things work together for your good because you love me and you're called according to my purpose. And so, Now, waiting doesn't have to be such a terrible chore because, verses 16 through 18, we'll continue now, because of God's promises. They're good. It makes waiting more exciting than anything else because you know it's coming. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That's why we take oaths. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, heirs, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his oath and his promise, in which it is impossible for God to lie about those two things. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly Encouraged. And so, if you're taking notes, Abraham waits patiently, was one, and he does this because, two, God's promises are good. So, Hebrews, I know it's tough out there, man. People aren't receiving you very well. It's a hostile place to be a Christian for those Hebrews. But he says, uh, not only do you have his promise, God will see you through. He confirms his promise with an oath. Now, about oaths. In the Old Testament, and to Jews and his Jewish audience, oaths were biblical. In fact, they were commanded. And, And what you would say is, as surely as Yahweh lives, and that would settle everything. They were very useful. They were used in courts. legal issues. They were used for religious vows. When you wanted to get closer to the Lord, you'd go into the church, the temple, and you'd make a vow and you'd take an oath and you would say, as surely as the Lord lives. And they were used in treaties between nations. Now, by the time Jesus appears, it had gotten way out of hand and it deteriorated into something so hypocritical and perverted, and Jesus said, you know what, i got a new idea, Sermon on the Mount. He said, let's, regarding oath-taking and what you guys have turned it into, let's just let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, live with such integrity because the Holy Spirit's going to come into your heart and change you that we can know that what comes out of your mouth is true and blue and doesn't need an oath because when you say yes, it's really as if you have sworn." And taken an oath because it's true and honest. So the writer is pointing out to the Hebrews, he says, now God himself has given y'all a promise, but he's done something else. And he quotes there from Genesis 22, by myself I have sworn. I will indeed bless you and multiply your descendants. So, as I said, verse 16 tells us why there's an oath at all. It confirms your word that it's true. In other words, you know, um, it clears matters up. If there's a a disagreement, you just, as surely as the Lord lives, boom, done. We got our answer. Whatever was going on, it says right there, So that the matter would be puts an end to all argument because only a fool, under death penalty, would lie under oath to Yahweh. So, well, today this would not work because people would just lie under oath to to God. No problem with a lie detector strapped on, and they're so good at it they'll fool the lie detector. So it doesn't work in our mind, but back in the day, an oath. Wow, it's settled. All arguments. And so uh, the problem, of course, uh, with oath-taking is he wants, God wants to settle the matter too. So what he wants to do is add an oath to his already said promise to us. So he says, man, this is, I want to settle this once and for all. The problem. God's got a problem taking an oath because he can't find anybody greater than himself. <laughs> so who's he going to swear by? He goes, I know. I'll swear by myself. I will swear by my own name. And so you'll find passages where he says, As surely as I live, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father. And that's just one of many. As surely as I live. Now, why does he want to add an oath to what Already, it should be binding. when God speaks, when God speaks, it should be enough. He doesn't need to take an oath. But God's saying, to settle the matter doubly sure, I want to confirm my words with an oath. And he raises his hand and he says, upon my name, upon God Almighty, I swear that those words that I'm giving you shall come to pass. So help me as God. That's heavy. And why does he want to do it? Because he wants you to know that the matter of your salvation, your future, your soul is doubly secure. That all arguments of you being lost, out the window, because you have two things, two unchangeable things a promise of God and an oath of God to carry that promise out and it's impossible for him to lie about either thing. That's what it is, the promise of God. And why does he have to do this? Because he knows what we know about ourselves. Abraham's faith wasn't always like this. Abraham had moments, whoop. Abraham uh, lied. Abraham had sins just like us. But he's saying, Abraham, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. I made you a promise. I will bless you. I will be with you. This will be your land. You will inherit the blessings, and it has to do with me. I swear it, he says. Look at these promises. They're they're, they're unbelievable. (laughs) I'll never leave you. These are just his naked truths that don't need any oaths. They don't need any vows. They don't need anything else because God who spoke and the universe leaps into existence has said it. I'll never leave you. I'm your shield. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I will lead and guide you. I'll never lose one that the Father has given me. The Father puts us in Jesus' hands and he says, it is God's will that I not lose one of you. I will forgive all of your sins. I will provide all of your needs. I'll work everything out in your life, everything for your good, all things. I will prepare a place for you in heaven. And he says, I swear it. I swear it. I swear. Give you my word. These things shall never, ever falter. And every day, in every moment, you will face contradictory emotions and circumstances that will defy all of this. And you will be even be thinking, well, what about this and what about that? God has a different way of understanding circumstances. But every last promise is good. Two unchangeable things. Two unchangeable things, his promise to you, his oath to carry it out, and the impossibility for either of those things to ever not come to pass. I love what he says in Numbers 23. It's a little bit of an insult uh, to humans, but, you know, he's God. <laughs> we can take it. He says, he says, God is not human that he should lie not a human being, that he should change his mind? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course not, you're God. And then he says, then why don't you act like you believe the promises? Not only did I give you the promise, I swore by myself that I'm going to make that promise good. Shouldn't you be like enjoying life? Shouldn't you not be up late at night going, whatever? No, I don't know and we don't know all of that? Did you understand that? <laughs> yes, you did, <laughs> unfortunately. So uh, Steve Savage tells the story. He's a guy who discipled me. It's still been my friend for 35 years when his one and only son, Jake, was first or second grade. It was Steve's job to pick him up from school And he used to uh, stand along a chain-linked fence. Not the best side of town. And one day he got a ministry call. And he got sidetracked. And he forgot all about picking little Jacob up. He speeds across town. It's a couple hours late. He's imagining everything. And the whole long sidewalk is empty. Except for little Jake. Little Jake is there. He's got his little lunchbox. Ninja Turtles, probably. Steve goes out flying and flailing. And he's 6'6". So when he flails, you know, you want to call 911? Picks him up. He's like, are you okay, Daddy? He's a mess, right? The kid is like, Dad, I'm fine. What's going on? He's, and puts him in the car, sits him down, straps him in and says... I, I just, you know, he's humming some Disney tune. It was not frozen. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. All right? The pastor last week said something. So he's humming something. Steve says to Jake, Jake, uh, I'm glad you're happy and everything's okay. Did you cry or did you get scared? He goes, no, I didn't. And he goes, why? And he said, Dad. You said you were going to come and get me. Dad, you told me. You you told me. You said, I'm coming to get you. Your dad has told you. Not only is he coming to get you, he's coming to pick you up. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) He's coming to get you all right. He's coming to get you. But you know what? That's not all he's promised you. He's promised you all of that. And then said, I swear it. Boy, every single worry, every single what if, every single acid reflux related problem thing that you've done, let me just tell you, has been a monumental waste Of time and energy, because these, my friend, are your reality. This is it. All you're lacking is faith and patience, and you're gonna get the baby Isaacs are all there. They're all lined up, just like all in their incubators, waiting for mom and dad to just take them home. Okay, that was too far fetched, but (laughs) I think you get what I'm trying to say. Let's wrap it up with the last couple verses. Great encouragement indeed. So verses 19, we have fled fled, (laughs) to take hold of the hope offered to us, may be greatly encouraged, understatement of the year. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into that inner sanctuary there in the temple, Behind that massive curtain, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, four inches thick, takes 300 priests to manipulate. Some say two tons. Where Jesus, who went before us, has entered in on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, no takers, Abraham waits patiently, and God has confirmed his promises and Jesus has gone ahead of us to secure the way. Jesus has guaranteed our safe passage. And so just when you think it can't get any better for us, it does. And that we have this wonderful savior. Uh, We, this, this is what it's saying. We are moored to an immovable object. And what might that object be? is behind the curtain, (laughs) what's behind the curtain is the throne and the presence of God Almighty. So he's saying that the hope that we have is heirs of the promise, if we have patience and faith, that we are anchored to God himself. We are anchored. Your soul is anchored in hope to this God who cannot lie, who gives promises and then swears by himself to carry that promise through on your behalf. And this is manifest in Jesus. Now, when Abraham's hope was brokered through a sinful man called a high priest who had to go in and offer uh, blood for his own sacrifices first, right? And that brought a temporary fix. But the the hope that you have, the hope that I have, the hope that these Hebrews who were backsliding have is permanent. That the God man, the God man himself goes in with no sins of his own, but with his own blood representing his death on that cross on our behalf and offers that and and fixes things so that we are able to be in that presence with him. Here's what one writer said about these verses here. When we're born again, the spirit of God enters us and joins himself with us. Christ in us and we in him mingled together one spirit with him. As Paul writes, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Don't miss this. He who is joined to the Lord in faith that all born again Christians are. He who is joined to the Lord is one with him. The branches are one with the vine, the bride is one with the bridegroom, and the union of human spirit with the spirit of Christ is an inseparable, permanent binding and constitutes the reason for the true, everlasting security of all who believe. If you're anchored to God, your victory is sure. When you get saved, it's not like God says, okay, okay, angels, we got one over here. Show faith. Okay, so go down there, and minister to him. You know, he's on the radar now. Bloop, bloop, bloop. There he is. No, 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 no. God His spirit in some mystical way comes into your body and takes your spirit and melds it together and mingles it and fuses it, fuses it together with Christ in God. You are joined together with him in some mystical way that we'll figure out when we get there. We retain our own identities, but he's saying, when I come in, we're joined together. Isn't that why neither death nor life nor angels or powers or demons or height or death or nakedness or famine or sword can separate this? Of course. Can a nuclear bomb do it? Nothing can do it. Why? Because you have been joined and fused together and enmeshed in a way that can never be untangled. Once that union happens, man, do you have problems? Do you have a problem in the world? If we lived by the truthfulness of God's promise, which is confirmed by God's oath, he says, we've got a pretty firm and stable anchor. (laughs) What is going to move you if you're in Christ and Christ is in you? This is why you got to be in your Bible. This is why you got to be on your knees. Because you forget all of this as soon as Goliath comes out and goes, oh, "I'm gonna kill you," you know. You're like, "Oh, you go. We're all gonna die." <laughs> and out goes. I'll put those promises back. Out goes all of that. Out goes that. One look at Goliath. It's like, who cares about that? Who cares about that? Do you want to enjoy your Christian life? To be able to put your head on the pillow and go, ah, oh, it is well. Thou preparest before me in the presence of my enemy a table, a banqueting table. My cup overflows in the presence of my enemies. I'm like, I'm oh, good. Pastor the great poupon. <laughs> And they're like, we're gonna kill you. I said, yeah, yeah. How was your day today, honey? And you're just why does he say that? He says, the Lord, oh God Almighty, my shepherd, he's made me some promises. And they're good. They're good promises. So I'm going to disregard the Goliaths and the things that are defying God's reality. And I'm going to live like God's reality is more true than my circumstantial surroundings. If you don't say amen there, amen. I'm going back to India on the next plane. <laughs> looking past the things that are seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen, looking past that to the promise of God. And so when the thing comes at you and says, well, look at this. Look at the facts here. Abraham, Look at the facts. Your wife can't have kids. Amorites, Parasites, Jebusites, Canaanites. It doesn't matter about the ites, and it doesn't matter about her womb, and it doesn't matter what the people downtown are saying about all of that. It matters about two unchanging things, a promise and an oath by God Almighty about that promise, and I'm going to live like that's my reality. Amen. Ah uh, God, I'm trying. I am trying. I have sweat to prove it. I don't know, I got one last illustration. A few months ago, a little Fisher 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 what do you call him? Fisher boat? <laughs> a little boat with fishermen in it. <laughs> caught on fire in the Atlantic. They were going down. They had a little raft. It was taking on water. There were sharks bumping, you know, but just terrible. Not a, not, not a sturdy thing. And, and then, well, let me show you a picture of the raft. Don't, yeah. So they're out there. It's the middle of the night. They send out a flare. They're just thinking we're going to die. They looked at the, the little raft. A little Rap feels like, you know, we'd rather take our chances with the sharks. You know? And guess who happened to be in the neighborhood? <laughs> the USS Roosevelt, a destroyer. Just happened to be in the neighborhood. You guys need a hand? <laughs> Picked him up. Put him on the boat. They had a, Firm and secure hope. Your raft, your raft was on fire. You're saying, was on fire. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear you, all right? I hear people, (laughs) sorry. You got a firm and secure hope. I can hear God say, Seriously, what more could I do to help you through this? I proved it on the cross. I proved it by answering your prayers. You know I'm here. you got that confirmation in your heart. All I'm asking you for is two things. What are they? Faith Faith. and patience. Done. And guess what you're going to be holding soon? A little bundle of joy. Amen? A little bundle of joy. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you. You're so undeserving and so, so filled with gratitude for you pouring out your heart to us and taking so much time to get through to us. We're just so dull and dense and it takes a lot, Lord. And in a few hours from now, we're all going to, some of us are going to be panicked about some problem and we're going to forget Help us not forget, but to live in the reality of your promises. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to the Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8:30 and 10:30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at Calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.